Hello, I'm Nick Baker, and this is the UK Wildlife Podcast. Welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast with me, Victoria Hillman. And me, Neil Phillips. For this episode, it's another species special and we're actually going to take a look at something that doesn't really get much love here in the UK or really anywhere in the world. Yeah, we're going to look at arguably the most hated invertebrate in the UK, the wasp. Lots of people hate them, but they are actually quite fascinating animals and they're incredibly useful to us as well, despite what people seem to think. To start with definition of what a wasp is, there's actually 9,000 species of wasp in the UK but they don't all look yellow and black like the ones you're used to and we're going to talk about today but most species are harmless to humans so most of them can't even sting or certainly not us anyway and there's a whole load of families so we've got ones that hunt spiders caterpillar hunting wasps these tiny little beautiful iridescent green and pinky purple jewel wasps there's some wingless ones and tiny little wingless ones that look like ants and a thing called a velvet ant where the female's wingless but all these ones I just mentioned are pretty much solitary so they might nest all together uh, in a sense of there'll be a bank of sand that they're all nested in holes in but they won't be working together on that they'll just happen to be nested near to each other in good habitat there are some true social wasps which is what i'm going to talk about today of course i need to address something with wasps which is technically bees which everyone seems to like better than wasps are actually a type of wasp they're within the group of wasps along with the ants as well but we're going to talk about the social wasps. Vic is going to kick off with the common wasp. I am. So the one that we see most often and the one that you can see up and down the country is the common wasp, Vespula vulgaris. And we're actually going to focus on this common wasp because it is our most common one throughout the UK. And it's actually found in most habitats. So you find it in woodlands, uh, the countryside, urban areas. So you really can see it just about anywhere. They're actually really important pollinators and pest controllers. The adults feed on food such as nectar and rotting fruits, whereas the larvae feed on small invertebrates. And they also make nests that are hexagonal works of art, I think, is the best way to describe them. And if you've ever seen inside a wasp's nest, see when the wasps aren't there, it's absolutely phenomenal. So wasps actually help to control other insects, such as flies, aphids, caterpillars and other small invertebrates, as they collect these to feed to the larvae and they do actually help pollinate various different plants as well so a quick description of our common wasps although most people will probably recognize them they have a black and yellow striped body with an obvious waist between the thorax and abdomen and if you look closely if you're you know if you get nice and up close and personal with them they have a very characteristic black anchor on their face they've got two pairs of wings and long antennae now the adult workers are about 11 to 14 millimeters and queens are about 20 to 25 millimeters And their life cycle lasts about 6 to 11 months. But we will talk life cycle lengths a little bit later because in some parts of the world, it is actually a lot longer than that. So I'm going to start with their nests because their nests are absolutely phenomenal. And these little creatures do build just absolutely stunning works of art. And the way they do it is really interesting as well. So in the late springtime, the queens can be seen on the search for suitable nest sites. These could be cracks in trees, sheds, deserted mammal holes and anything kind of fitting the bill like that and the nests are actually made up from chewed up wood which is mixed with saliva and this creates a paper-like material and if you go out in late springtime if you're lucky you might actually see and hear the wasps scraping wood off fence posts you know wooden doors anything like that and in my garden if I look at my fence post I can actually see where the wasps have been removing the wood from the posts it leaves 
characteristic little line. So the queen starts by building a cylindrical column, which she then covers in a chemical. And this chemical actually repels ants. She then produces a single cell, which is surrounded with a further six cells, creating the characteristic hexagonal shape. Once she's done that, she'll then continue to build cells in layers until she has around 20 to 30 cells, at which point she'll lay an egg in each of those cells. Once the eggs have hatched, she divides her time between feeding the larvae and nest building. At full size, the larvae actually spin a cover over their cell and they'll remain in there until they develop into an adult worker. The workers are the smaller wasps that we tend to see in later in the summer, gathering proteins to feed developing larvae and sugars to feed themselves. And it's at this point we tend to come into contact with them, especially if we're eating outside. We've got, you know, sandwiches, picnics, cakes, anything like that. That's probably when we're most likely to come into contact with them. Workers do not normally lay eggs, but instead care for their larval sisters, which is other workers and queens, to pass on their genes. Once there are enough fully grown adults, the queen turns to reproduction and is fed by the workers in the nest. Now the nests themselves can contain up to 10,000 individuals, be a thousand queens and a thousand males, and all the rest are workers. Most other species form colonies of about a thousand to low thousands in total. Now as we head into late summer, the new queen and the queens and male drones emerge from the nest and after mating in late autumn, the new queens will overwinter in holes or other sheltered locations. The colonies only last for a year and once the new queens depart, the colony actually dies off and then you're left with this beautiful nest. And that's a good time when you can actually have a real good look in, in the nest. Towards the end of the summer and the beginning of autumn, the nests are at max capacity and this is when we tend to see more wasps around. So, you know, particularly July, August time for us here. Adult workers will feed on nectar but feed the larvae on proteins. So this would normally be other invertebrates, but can also be meats or other offerings from our picnics. In return for the protein they give to the larvae, they produce a small droplet of sugar-rich liquid, which is then consumed by the workers. As we can get later on in the year, with fewer larvae to feed, the adults will actually turn to look for more sugar and carbohydrate-based foods, such as rotting fruits. And this is where you can quite commonly see them, if you have fruit trees in the garden, uh, you'll actually see them kind of gathering around fallen fruits, and sometimes when they're still on the trees. If the queen dies especially in hornets, workers may begin to lay eggs and anarchy breaks out in the colony. But what happens in winter? So, you know, we get to the winter time, colonies are died off. They need large amounts of insects to feed their young, so are only active in the warmer months when food is readily available. The worker wasps of social species die off late in the autumn, while recently emerged females hibernate. And they'll then spend the cold months in sheltered areas. But only some will survive the chill. And the numbers that survive will also depend on the type of winter we actually have. Those that do emerge, they will actually begin to form new colonies. This is where the cycle starts all over again. However, this isn't always the case. Because in Australia, where they've been introduced and they have milder winters, the workers actually don't die and old queens replace with new ones and the colony keeps growing and some of these can reach up to two million workers which is phenomenal i mean the size of those nests must be just incredible yeah i've seen some footage on tv of those they're absolutely huge and the pest controllers have a a bit of fun uh, dealing with those in those countries so there's actually eight other social wasp species other than a common wasp. When recording began, we had seven species in total. But in the 80s, two more invaded, which I'm going to tell you about a bit now. You can tell these species apart if you can get a good view or picture of the front of the head, the facial markings, and the abdomen from above. You can usually at least be reasonably sure what species you've got, but they can be 
a little bit tricky to tell apart because the markings will be quite variable in some species. Probably the next most common wasp after the common wasp is the German wasp, Vespula germanica. These are quite similar to common wasps, whereas the common wasp has a very variable pattern on it. It's not quite so variable in this species, but they tend to be a bit more southerly distributed, more across England and Wales, but not so much in Scotland. Now, these guys can nest underground, quite often not that far underground. So where the common wasp will be really deep underground, so possibly a metre down, these guys are only sort of three to 20 centimetres from the surface, and they like sort of more open sites, so sort of heathland and grass and places like that. Uh, they will occasionally nest up a bit higher as well, sort of in trees and stuff. The one thing different with their nest to the common wasp is the nest can actually be sort of a greyer colour because they like to use well-weathered wood when they chew up the wood to make their papery nest. That's just made me think of something. I wonder if, if I paint my fence loads of different colours, I wonder if those wasps would essentially create like a rainbow nest. Oh, do you know you say that? I have actually seen pictures of wasp nests that are varying colours where they sort of chewed up a redwood or something like that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I've, I've seen that as well. Maybe I might do that. I might start painting my fence posts different colours and see what happens. So there's another species, the red wasp, which is Vespula rufa. This is quite a small wasp, a bit smaller than the others. Found across the UK and Ireland. And they can be a bit redder than the other species, which is where the rufa name comes from. And they like open woodlands and moorlands and hedge banks and stuff like that as their habitats. And they tend to nest underground in dry, shaded areas, fairly close to the top of the soil. And again, they can nest above ground, but not very often. But there's another species which is quite interesting called Vespula ostriachia. Now, this is an obligate parasite of Vespula rufa, the previous species. So it cannot exist without this species. And it's found across northern England and, again, it's found in the same habitats as its host species. Now, the way it works is it finds a colony of rufa. After the workers have started coming out and working, at least 10 of them must be active. It dives into the nest and kills the queen of the rufa nest, or sometimes it just forces her out. The workers at first will resist this usurper coming in, but she will literally attack them until they do what she says. And then she lays her own egg within the nest and then the workers of Rufra will then basically start rearing her young which is why the Rufra nests end up being smaller than when they've got a parasitic queen in than the standard nests so that's pretty cool thing so basically it's a cuckoo wasp not to be confused with the actual cuckoo wasps which are a totally different group and yeah so she ends up producing sort of 100 queens and 100 males which is half of what you'd normally get in a Rufra nest but there's another genus Dolico Vespula and Dolico Vespula media the medium wasp is a fairly large species. It's actually only second to our biggest species, the hornet, which we'll come to later. And in fact, if you find a queen of one of these, it does actually look quite like a hornet. I think I've actually done that myself. I think I found a hornet and it actually was just a hibernating queen of one of these. And these are one of the ones that turned up in the 80s. So 1980 in East Sussex, they found an individual and then an occupied nest was found later on in the same county. But it's now found across England and Wales and some of southern Scotland. So in 40 years, it's gone from not being present to spreading all the way across that area. There's no evidence that this or the following species are having a negative effect, by the way, on our already present species. So that's good. So it's found across all habitats in lowland areas. They tend to come out a bit later than the previously mentioned species and die off a bit earlier. So they have a lot shorter season and end up with a much smaller nest. But they're quite distinctive their embryonic nest so that first nest that Vic was talking about earlier where they're getting the first few wokers and the queens getting the nest going it actually has a little spout at the end of the nest so it's fairly distinctive at that stage and these guys like to build 
from sort of aerial suspended sites so hanging off branches of trees and shrubs and and they try and conceal it within the foliage so predators can't find them they've also been found in some places like in the eaves of a caravan in walls and on a lamp bracket they will nest near humans uh, the other one for uh, fans of Nick Baker will probably have heard of the Saxon wasp because he's got loads of them in his shed this is quite a large wasp as well this one's even more recent turned up at Juniper Hall Field Centre near Dorkin in Surrey in July of 1987 so it's been here less time than I have <laughs> okay. so by 1995 eight years later it actually occupied most of southeastern England so it spread pretty quickly it's got a bit of a southeastern bias still now but it's spread a lot further north and west and it can be the commonest species now in some areas it likes urban and rural areas and it seems particularly widespread in Heathland in West Sussex and North Hampshire according to the Wild's website where I've got a lot of this information and again they like aerial locations so hanging from branches again and bushes uh, beneath the eaves of houses and roofs in barns sheds and even recorded under a park bench <laughs> at one point which is quite cool another one in this genus is the tree wasp now this is a bit smaller more of a medium sized wasp uh, from this group and this is found pretty much everywhere even the smaller islands in the Outer Hebrides and the Isle of Man Scilly Channel Islands again most habitats and yeah although it's called the tree wasp it doesn't always nest in trees but it does require, you know, at least part cover. It will nest at ground level and cavities in the ground generally, roof spaces, kitty walls, even in small bird nest boxes. Because obviously they've got this shorter life cycle, they end up with smaller nests and so they'll fit in a bird box. Yeah, there's been some interesting scientific work done on these and they've noticed a correlation between rising temperatures and the wasps themselves getting smaller. So they've looked at ones in collections from a few years ago. They appear to get smaller as the climate gets warmer and that's reflected in quite a few insect species. That was the first time they found it in a social insect another sign of global warming within our wildlife there's one last one in this genus the norwegian wasp and this is another widely distributed one even uh, found in auckland shetland and the fair isle found across northern europe and asia it's a very widespread species it's another one that likes a nest adjacent to heathland and moorland by preference but again found in many different areas and this tends to hang from the branches of low bushes and quite close to the ground but arguably the best of these wasps and certainly my favorite is the hornet which is our biggest I mean, and this gets up to 40 millimetres in the queen and 30 millimetres in the workers. They're quite intimidating up close, having stood far too close to a nest many times. Found across England and Wales, and they've got this re- fearsome reputation. Oh, a hornet! But they're actually arguably more docile than your standard wasp. I and mean, I can vouch for that, having stood within a metre of the nest and had them literally fly into my hair and just buzz out without doing anything as long as you're not stupid in an nest stretch okay i would not recommend doing it for health and safety reasons yeah i've got away of it so far touch wood <laughs> now they tend to be lowland habitats especially ancient woodland that seems to be like a hot spot so the new forest sherwood forest and places like that are really good i think epping forest is very good as well so basically what happens in mid-may they start the nest generally high up in a hollow tree or something like that and you will get them on sort of outbuildings and sometimes even in tufts of grass in the nest of Lassius flavus which for those that have listened to the garden ant episode will know is the meadow ant so that's quite cool so one hymenopterum is taken over another hymenopterum nest now if they're in a small cavity and the nest gets too big they will actually move the nest now i tried to look into this and i couldn't find out i guess they must take the larvae with them so that'd be quite interesting to see i need to do a bit more research on that now we've said there's nine species it's actually a tenth one has recently appeared but has not got a foothold as far as we know and that is the 
Asian Hornet. Now, if you're a Daily Mail reader, you're probably screaming hiding in your bedroom when I say that name, but they're not as bad as they make up. So the pictures I always use are those huge, great Asian giant hornets, which, you know, of that the size of buses or something ridiculous, according to the, to the papers anyway. But these are a much smaller species. They're much sort of darker coloured than our hornet. They're actually a bit smaller than our native hornet. What they think happened was in 2005, they turned up in France and they suspect they came in a container of pottery from China. And we knew they were coming here eventually. In 2016, they turned up. But as soon as one's found, the authorities get straight on it and start looking for the nests. And you can just follow the workers back to the nests of these things and they destroy the nest straight away because they have been known to decimate honeybee colonies. And I did find one paper that suggests they could outcompete our native hornet. And as we've mentioned, they do predate lots of insects. So... They could have a harmful effect on quite a few species if they get a foothold. Which is a shame, because they're actually quite pretty looking things. Our native European hornet does actually hunt at night. You quite often get them coming to lights and into moth traps and stuff like that. But whereas this Asian hornet tends not to do so. But one thing you can do, and I know we have leaflets around here, because a nest was actually found in Gloucestershire in 2016, and that's actually not that far from me. There is some really good information out there about how to tell the difference. And when you see one of our native hornets, like Neil said, they're absolutely stunning, and they're quite vibrant as well. They are unmistakable, and quite often you will hear them before you see them. But the Asian hornet is not as brightly coloured. But if you think you've seen one, it's always best to report it, and then someone can go and investigate. And certainly if you think you found a nest, it's certainly better to report it you know that could be to your local wildlife trust to the national bee unit anyone like that and they'll they can pass it on uh, to the relevant people someone once described them as like a goth version of our hornets because they're so much darker it's <laughs> a really good description actually i say someone yeah. i literally just came up with that but i'm just trying to <laughs> not get in trouble with my goth friends so obviously all of our wasps are part of the food chain and they do have predators. Great tits, in particular, Paris Major, do like our wasps and they will predate our wasps. Badgers have been reported as predators, but mainly digging out nests from cavities in the soil. And that, I mean, that goes for bees and stuff as well. They are known to dig out nests. I've, I've seen a few wasp nests dug up by badgers in the past, so I can personally vouch yeah, for that. I, I've seen a nest dug up by a badger and it's unmistakable uh, because it's carnage, basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a big hole in the ground and yeah, it's very messy spiders generally will cast them um from their web so they don't you know not many spiders will actually kind of take on a wasp simply because wasps can fight back and they can sting although i think there are reports of wasp spiders actually taking them yeah but if you listen to episode 24 you'll know that in hymenoptera make up a fair part of their diet Yes, so you'll have to go and check out episode 24 for that one. But the reason wasp spiders can take them is because they have stronger webs and longer legs, so they can actually wrap the wasp up from a distance without being stung. Uh, Dragonflies and large robberflies will also take them, but both could also be potential prey. So it's a bug-eat-bug world, aren't Yeah, there's a few pictures online of poor dragonflies trying to warm up in the sun and wasps coming in and biting a segment off as they come out of the abdomen and slowly eating the poor thing. And someone put a picture up the other day of a hornet that's taken out a dragonfly, which is pretty cool. Now, obviously, if you've got hundreds, if not thousands of workers in one place, in a nest, that's effectively a little microhabitat. So quite unsurprisingly, being that these social wasps have been around for millions of years, some other insects have decided, hey, that looks quite good, I'll have some of that. And they've got some parasites. So there's canopid flies or thick-headed flies, which are endoparasites, so they go inside the body. And these are really quite cool things. 
They're also known as bee or wasp grabbers. So what they'll do is they'll grab the wasp in flight and they've got sort of a weird tweezery thing on the tip of their abdomen which they pull apart a gap between the segments of the abdomen and lay an egg inside. And then the egg hatches inside the poor wasp and starts to eat the abdominal contents of so all its organs. Obviously it starts with the least necessary and works its way up for 10 days and then it hollows out the poor wasp and pupates inside it. They can start acting a bit weird and stuff and hang outside the nest and poor things of insects and parasites. Uh, and I've said it before, we've got to do a whole episode on them. There's another one, the wasp nest beetle. Now, I had no idea about this one until I researched this episode. This is really cool. So what it does is the adult female will fly around and she'll lay the eggs in autumn on some nice-looking rotting wood she thinks that a wasp might use to build its nest. Then they hatch in spring, and when a wasp comes along, the little larva has little sucker-like feet, and it tries to get onto the back of the wasp, suck her on and hang on. It gets transported back to the nest, and then it wiggles around the nest trying to find a wasp grub, or wasp larva, and parasitises it. So first of all, it goes inside, then it emerges and feeds on the outside, sucking out the body juices, and then it actually eats like <laughs> the shriveled remains before pupating inside the nest just to rub salt in the wound. So that's really cool. And unsurprisingly, to anyone knows anything about parasitic wasps there's an ichneumoid wasp an ichneumon wasp whatever you call it and the female is tiny she's only a few millimetres long I think it's about five millimetres and she runs around the nest and if, if a social wasp comes too close she'll run off she's just really quick and she just lays eggs on the pupated wasp larva and the larvae uh, sit on the outside and feed on them and again they pupate inside the nest and then they can run around the nest and some of the adults all stay in the nest and some fly to other nests and all sorts uh, and I could not mention hornets without mentioning the hornet hoverfly not the hornet robberfly we mentioned in the last episode the hornet hoverfly surprises didn't come up but it shows you how diverse the flies are and I did actually consult Erica on this one and these are great big huge inch long hoverflies they're the biggest ones we get in the UK and they're coloured like a hornet and what they'll do is the females will go into their nest. They think they've got sort of a calming pheromone so the workers don't attack them. And they'll lay eggs in there. Now there seems to be some debate. It might be because there's a few species of Volucella, which is the genus of hoverfly these belong to. And they may have different habits. Some of them seem to think the larvae sit at the bottom of the nest or the bottom of the cavity it's in and eat all the poo and you know shed skins and stuff but some of them seem to think they might eat the larvae as well and if you think about it it's a perfect place to be a larvae because very few predators of the ones we mentioned are going to attack a wasp nest so you're fairly safe in there and i'm sure i read somewhere and i couldn't find the source before we recorded this episode that the female's instinct if she does get stung and killed in the nest the last thing her body does is just squeeze out the eggs so i think that makes sense you can basically do a kamikaze run into the nest and just get a few more eggs out make sure her young get the best start in life Wow. So, I mean, so, you know, some of those, those life cycles and, and that, there's just, I mean, this this is, you know, one of the many reasons that Neil and I are so fascinated by invertebrates because they're just amazing and incredible and fascinating. There's no denying yeah. it. Show me a bird that does anything like that. Well, exactly. Or even a mammal. Exactly. Like, hopefully kind of gives you a nice insight into the world of particularly social wasps. But now on to a little bit more of the, like, the nitty-gritty stuff on you know, why people don't like them so much, maybe. And I'm going to talk about their stings. Because this is, I mean, this is one thing that people don't like about them. They sting. So generally speaking, bees 
won't sting unless it's a last line of defence because when a bee stings you, that's it. That's its last hurrah, basically. It does die when it stings, but wasps don't. Now, generally speaking, wasps actually only sting from about late summer, early autumn onwards. But why? Why do they sting? So let's start looking at their unusual and bizarre anatomy and also their jobs. So if you look at a wasp, you'll notice that they have basically a really thin waist and this actually constricts their gut. So the worker's job is to hunt and feed developing larvae. That's what they do. But the adult workers can't actually digest the food they catch because of this restriction to their gut. So they actually will cut bits of meat off or catch you know, invertebrates and whatever and take them back to the nest they don't actually consume it themselves now there's some debate as to how the sting actually develop but generally speaking their sting is there to immobilize or potentially kill insect prey for them to stick back to their nest but it's also used to defend themselves it's defensive strategy to combat vertebrate predators both at the nest and also when they're out hunting and when we swat at them and this is why people always say to you don't flap and don't swat. Just let the wasps do their thing and they'll leave you alone and they'll fly off. And it's one of the reasons behind this is because when we start to flap and swat at them, they might then sting us as a defensive response, basically. I mean, they don't know that we're just trying to shoo them away from food. To them, we might be these huge predators that want to eat them. So we're kind of eliciting a similar response that they would have if a predator came in. <laughs> and they don't get angry. Yeah, because a lot of people say, well, wasps are really angry. But they're not. They're just threatened and they defend themselves. And to be honest, I'd probably defend myself if somebody started swatting and, you know, running around with a newspaper trying to hit me. I'd certainly fight back. I don't know about you, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, yes, there is, you know, in as we get later on in the autumn, as the nests die off and we still have some of the wasps around, they do certainly get a bit more dopey and at times yes we are more likely to come into contact with them and that could be they might be on the ground you don't see them and tread on them they get caught up in some clothing or you know maybe on the food and you don't see it and you go and put your hand on a jar to turn a lid and you squeeze it and it's just a defense response but interestingly they don't actually die when they sting us because the sting isn't barbed like that in bees they can actually sting repeatedly through their lifetime so you know what it hurts when you get stung and trust me i got stung on the inside of my thigh in the summer i don't recommend it that was really painful for several days but you know that wasp it just got caught up in my shorts i didn't see it and as i was walking along it stung me i didn't kill the wasp or anything i just tried to get out my shorts for it to fly away but it's just a defensive mechanism so just you know give them a little bit of space and and actually one thing you can do and that if you're having a picnic or something you can actually put out what we like to call a sacrificial plate and it does work to a point that you can actually put a plate of like maybe some meat and a little bit of sweet stuff on and put it away from you to attract the wasps in they'll go to that and then hopefully you can enjoy your picnic alone and actually, if you if you watch them, I've actually seen wasps do this, cutting almost perfect circles out of bits of meat. It's amazing. Yeah. I remember being in a pub restaurant place, eating outside, and someone had had a big steak, and they left the rind, and this hornet came down and started hacking huge chunks off it and flying off of it. Amazing to see. And what's really funny is when they actually take off a bit of meat that is clearly far oh, bigger yeah. than they're able to carry, and you see them, they try and like lift off, and then they drop down again, and and they lift up and drop down and they can't then they have to give up and cut it a bit smaller and then they yeah. can fly so I think we're finished with the question that probably winds up certainly hymenopterists all the time 
What is the point of wasps? Well, we're going to basically just summarise what we've already said. So, they're, first of all, they're ferocious predators and they control plant pests like caterpillars and aphids, which mean we have food left. They also pollinate flowers. So, you know, that pollinates flowers, so we have food. So that's a double win on the food. And remember, bees don't kill pest species as well as pollinate. So in some ways, they're actually better than bees. We've got some figures here. Each summer, social wasps in the UK capture an estimated 14 million kilograms of insect prey. So that's a lot of pests. Going back to the pollination, there is actually some evidence they do as good a job as bees at pollinating as well. We've mentioned the paper nests. There is some theories that they actually inspired the creation of paper, which is in China, of course. So it wouldn't be our wasps, but it would be similar wasps. And, you know, paper's pretty important for the written word. And, you know, I'm no historian, but I'm pretty sure written word is pretty crucial in the development of civilization and all that kind of stuff, which apparently was a good thing for humans, I hear. But, you know... Here's a little fact you probably didn't know about me, Neil, that when I worked at a certain tourist attraction, I actually learned all about uh, the papermaking and the use of cotton and actually used to demonstrate the papermaking process for visitors. Did they mention wasps in it? Did you credit the wasps? I bet you didn't. No, this was all cotton-based paper. Oh, fair enough. That's slightly different, isn't it? But yes, not paper-based paper. Yeah. <laughs> or wood-based paper. I'm talking about, so about the paper-based <laughs> paper, but uh, you know what I mean. This is one thing which, you know, if you don't like wasps, you'll probably cheer at, but, you know, at your own peril. Certainly, since the late 1990s and early 2000s, they've declined. Now, if you don't like wasps, you might think, yay! But they're kind of apex predators in the insect world. And if your predators are declining, it usually means your prey's declining, which usually means there's something seriously wrong with the ecosystem. So they're actually a bit of a canary in the coal mine again, and... Yeah, the fact that wasps, and I have noticed a lot less wasps, certainly in the last three or four years. Obviously, that's a very subjective view, but I'm not the only one. So it's a bit of a cause for worry, I think. Along, and we've, we've seen on the news uh, since in the last few years, haven't we, about massive insect declines in the last few decades. So, yes, not good. It's a bit of a negative way to think. But hopefully, now you've heard all this stuff, you might have a bit more positive view of these wonderful insects. Yes, they sting. But, you know, get past that and they're actually really quite cool insects. I think some of that as well is that we do have to remember some people are allergic to wasp and bee stings. So, you, yeah, in that respect, yes, you do have to be careful. Whereas I, I was stung a couple of times in the summer. And actually, interestingly, I was bitten by a wasp in the summer. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Neil. It's a really weird sensation. So we were playing a game outside by Open Air Swimming Port and there was lots of wasps around. And this one landed on me and I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to swat it away. I don't want it to panic. So I thought, well... You know, I'll just shake my hand a little bit and, you know, it might fly off. And it wandered around my hand a little bit and then it actually bit me. And I was like, I've never been bitten by a wasp. It was a very weird sensation. After that, it did get carefully flicked off my hand. It didn't draw blood, but, you know, you definitely felt the power of those those jaws. It, it was quite an interesting sensation. If you've got any fun wasp encounters or some wasp pictures, do share them with us and we'll share them on our Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, just just give them a little bit of love. And actually during the summer as well, and I know we've had quite a few warm days recently, Like I've had more wasps drinking from my bird bath than I have birds in the last few weeks. And, it, you know, they just come in, you know, they can just rest on the side of the bird bath, have a drink and then fly off again. So, you know, when it's really hot, it's important actually to put some put some water out there for them as well. But yeah, hopefully we have given you a little bit to think about and maybe you'll look at them slightly differently. Well, that sounds like a good place to stop. We've got some good guests lined up next month. Oh, we have. Next month's going to be an exciting month. Yeah, we've got a couple of really exciting guests lined up. And also, we're going to be doing an autumn special as well. 
but we're not going to give any more of that away. Well, guys, well, I guess we'll see you next month. Yep, take care. Bye-bye. Bye.